You are listening to Eric the Cheater. Here we go, we're gonna send this one out to the old school. All these motherfuckers in the Bronx and Brooklyn and Staten Island, Queens, and all the motherfuckers that laid it down, the foundation, you know what I'm saying? Number love for the old school, that's what we gonna do this week. Hi everyone, happy Sunday. Welcome back to Dialogical Humanism. In the very first episode of this podcast, I had the pleasure of interviewing three of my close friends about the anti-Black racism review that was conducted of the Peel Region District School Board. Today, we are continuing that conversation. I had the privilege of having two eye-opening conversations with Charlene Grant and Benjamin McDonald. Charlene Grant is a Jamaican-born parent from the York region in Toronto, and she led a movement with a group of parents to file a human rights complaint very similar to the one that was filed in Peel against the York Region District School Board. Benjamin McDonald is a close friend of mine, and you might recognize Ben from part one. In addition to running a dope YouTube channel where you can find him at Sir McDon, he just graduated from the University of Toronto with a degree in life sciences, and he had experience with the Peel District School Board for about eight years. Today, I've got a jam-packed 25-minute episode for you all. Originally, Charlene Grant and Ben's stories were going to be featured separately, but there were so many parallels in our conversations that I thought it would be powerful to thread them together. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you enjoy this honest conversation about how, contrary to popular belief, there is systemic racism in Canada that disproportionately affects black communities. Charlene and Ben bring up some pretty shocking examples of microaggressions and outright racism that they've seen or experienced at their respective school boards. I hope that you leave this conversation inspired to advocate for the Black community and follow along in the news about the Peel and York Region human rights cases. This is an episode dedicated to students and parents everywhere who are fighting for their right to education. This is Dialogical Humanism. First up is an excerpt from my conversation with Charlene Grant. Charlene, when you finally hear this, thank you for the incredible work that you do on behalf of parents and students everywhere. Charlene, I wanted to begin by painting a picture for our listeners today. What exactly is a microaggression and how have you experienced these at the York Region District School Board? So for a lot of times, microaggression is very hard to prove. It's like it's subtle racism. And a lot of times when it happens, the individual feels it, who's experienced it, knows something is wrong, and sometimes they're not able to able to even articulate that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Imagine a six-year-old being told, um, as, uh, having an experience in their classroom and with another student, with a, see another student 
just being treated differently. For example, they get sent down to the office more often. Um, for simple things, they get suspended. I mean, we're talking six-year-old, grade one, getting suspended for simple things or just being constantly being yelled at or being isolated or being... Um, some of the things we've seen, for example, under under cubby or under where they hang their jackets up, there'll be notes written about all their bad behaviors. They their names up on the board constantly, like a consistent mm. um, torture. In my in my in my opinion, that these things happen, and I mean, there's so many um, microaggressions. To 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 be honest, um, but as far as um, I want to take a moment to sit on what Charlene has just said. So as a parent from the York region, Charlene has stated that oftentimes microaggressions occur and kids don't necessarily understand that there might be racism involved in those situations. She's pointing out that oftentimes what she's seen as a parent is that black kids have their names repeatedly on the board supposedly for misbehaving. There are notes posted in these children's cubbies about their quote-unquote bad behavior. They're often called out in class and suspended for very small reasons or no reason at all. What's so troubling about these microaggressions at a young age is that if kids don't necessarily understand that it could be about race, they'll immediately feel that it's their fault and that can be quite damaging. Now let's get back to Charlene. Nothing like the old school. <laughs> it's it's that, that message that's being sent. When you do that to a six-year-old or someone in an elementary school system, you're telling everybody else that person is bad. And then they start, and then the, the that person starts hating themselves and starts seeing themselves. I'm not worthy. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of time my my son used to come home from elementary school and say, "Mom, they don't like me." And I remember the first time he said it, I actually cried. I go, what, what are you talking about? How could you don't say that? So when they come home damaged and feeling less than, as a parent, the all we have to do is. All we do is pour love mm -hmm. and pour all this attention and greatness to build them back up. But think about that for a second. If you don't even have the time as a parent, mm -hmm. both parents are working and the child come home. If you don't even ask because you're not even thinking something's happening and they don't tell you, then they kept, they now have to deal with that on their own. Nothing like the old school. Charlene has just brought up a very important point that is repeatedly echoed in the conversation that I later had with Benjamin McDonald. Again, Ben is a close friend of mine, a recent graduate of the University of Toronto, an absolutely brilliant YouTuber, and someone who experienced the Peel District School Board for about eight years. Ben echoes Charlene's sentiments regarding how it's often parents who are that make-or-break factor in their child's education. If you haven't already listened to episode one, go and do so. It'll put this excerpt of Ben and I's conversation into context. Here with Ben, I'm discussing that moment of confusion that young kids feel after a racial microaggression occurs and why without the appropriate parental support, that can manifest into something a lot more negative. And I want to 
speak to that moment of confusion because I think imagining myself in your shoes as an 11 year old, if somebody was racist towards me, I wouldn't necessarily understand right away that that was racism. I would also feel just confused. I was wondering if you could speak to that kind of your initial feelings hearing this as an 11 year old. Yes, no, definitely. Um, actually, that, now that you bring it up, I think I want to go back to, um, and, and actually, you can edit this out if it's not relevant, but no, and I'm just going to say it anyway. Yeah. So basically, I rewind back to when I was like six, and I was at a skating rink, and um, uh, well, the skating lesson had just finished, and you know, I was putting on my skates and whatever, and then... A boy, he, he was in my skating class. He was saying to us and the students around him, and our parents, with my parents were actually like on the other side of the rink, but some of the other parents were already collecting their kids and helping them untie their skates. Yeah. But the kid was like, you know, I'm having a birthday party, um, but I'm not inviting any black people because all black people are bad. And this is like a six-year-old. So, I mean, where's a six-year-old getting this? He's getting this from his parents. Oh, you know, the six-year-old didn't just make that up yeah. off the top of his head. He's getting that from his environment, the people he's around. And, of course, his mom was, like, she's, like, kind of embarrassed because her kid has just said that out loud and she's trying to brush it off and whatever. So, and the thing is, so that's probably one of the first cases that I can, that I really understood and got confused about. Yeah. That I went back to my parents. I was like, so today this kid said this at the skating rink. And, I mean, that's probably Aww. one of the earliest um, discussions I probably had about um, discrimination based on skin color and um, and whatnot, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. and actually even like at that age too, I had a like a god brother who was Italian and I, I didn't really know, I couldn't really say what was the difference between me and him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, he has straight hair, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> I didn't really see that I was black and he was, he was white, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, that's kind of one of the early a point in my life where we had a discussion about um, racism. And yeah, as you said, often it is very different compared to the States. Um, you don't see as many of, like, the, uh, the most recent shooting that happened the other day, Aubrey Ahmad, I believe his name is. Yeah. Like, you don't see as blatant examples of that in Canada. But as you said, this term microaggressions, there's a lot of just subtle, you know, jabs um, here and there, and it's prominent in the education system as well. That, um, that can really be damaging to a kid's character, especially when you're a kid, you're learning and you're kind of just absorbing everything and tend to believe everything you hear, especially in the case of the education system, because when you're at school, it's kind of like, oh, my teacher said this, so my teacher is right. You know what I mean? Because you're going to, every day you're going to this classroom and this teacher is teaching you all these, this information and you just automatically your brain goes, so yeah, this teacher is right. Everything she's saying or he's, he is saying is right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, um, again, that, that incident there with the teacher suggesting to me that I shouldn't bring in all these, um, these other professionals. I mean, if you, if you tell that to the wrong student, a student who probably doesn't have the same um, support that I did or, or, have the, or, or, have, or have the courage or whatever to ask somebody for some clarification, that could be damaging as well, and they could start to believe that and those stereotypes could start to reinforce um, in the student's head. Absolutely. And it's, it's that repetitive um, negative messaging mm-hmm. that I think is like very, very damaging um, to students. Mm-hmm.
To echo Ben's words, here is Charlene speaking to the same topic about how repeated microaggressions can really damage a student's self-esteem. And if, and this is not bullying. This is a completely different situation. It's more damaging. It's so damaging to the self-esteem. And, you know, it's, there are studies that have shown that by the time our kids get to grade five or grade six, they start hating school depending on their experiences. Mm-hmm. Around grade six and seven, our children sometimes are told that, um, I know it happened to me personally, I could speak on this, that they have a learning disability oh. and they're now put on I- IEP. And if, if you don't understand the system and know that, what what course did you take to make sure I, that child didn't go on I, IEP? Mm-hmm. If the parents don't understand, that child goes on, it stays with them for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It never gets removed. Mm-hmm. And these are just those little subtle things. And if you don't know and you don't understand, you end up start believing it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, one of my biggest things I say to parents, whenever you know your child more than anybody else, so when they're telling you something that doesn't match the description of your child, You've got to challenge that. Mm-hmm. I think it was really poignant what you mentioned there, Charlene, that you know, if a student doesn't have those parents necessarily mm-hmm. showering them with love if they're working, the fact that that can be the difference between somebody's academic career completely taking a different turn Mm -hmm. you know that scares me and it just breaks my heart that you know not only have parents become responsible for this advocacy piece but then they have to you know spend extra effort to help their child right through all these difficulties and I just can't imagine how tiring that must be sometimes you know albeit necessary you know albeit necessary extremely extremely tiring extremely draining that's the best way to describe it it drains you we are a little over halfway through the episode right now and I wanted to take a break and read a couple excerpts from the Peel Region District School Board Human Rights Review and the York Region District School Board's Human Rights Review so that as listeners, we can start to see the parallels between these stories and reveal that indeed there is systemic racism that is pervasive in Canada and it's important to be aware of the instances where this blatantly occurs. I'm reading now from the human rights complaint that was filed by Charlene Grant along with several families in the 2015 to 2016 school year. Again, this is against the York Region District School Board. Quote, family number three, a black child was beaten severely by a group of white students while being called the N-word and punched and kicked in the head while other students looked on and videotaped it and shared it on social media. The school did not suspend the subjects or follow board protocol. The parents were not told of the incident until 6 p.m. that evening, eight hours after the child had suffered from a concussion. Follow-up meetings regarding this issue and the board were met with no accountability, nor apology, or clear plan to combat racism in the school. The child felt threatened and unsafe attending school. There are similar stories of unnecessary violence, unpunished violence, 
at the PDSB. The review found constant evidence of police intervention. This is coming from page eight of the anti-black racism review conducted of the Peel Region District School Board. The review found not one, but two incidents of young black elementary school students being placed in handcuffs. In these incidents, parents were not called to defuse the situation before the police intervention occurred. Another parallel between York and Peel human rights complaints are this prevalence of discretionary suspensions. Charlene mentioned that oftentimes students in York who were black were suspended for no reason. And similarly at the PDSB, 78% of suspensions against black students were rationalized under the category of other. What is most troubling is that there is a culture of fear and a culture where teachers are afraid to speak out when they witness racism, when they want to make initiatives to ameliorate racism within their communities. There's a culture of fear because these teachers fear that they're going to get demoted or even fired. This is prevalent in York. There was a senior educator who spoke out against racism and Islamophobia at the York School Board. Cecile Roach at the time was a superintendent for equity and in this news article, which I'm going to link in the episode description, he said that he strongly feared reprisal for speaking out. And he had to consult a lawyer before he felt safe enough to speak about these issues. Roach stated that there were numerous equity initiatives that were canceled by the board. There were consultations with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the board, which were canceled. A three-day equity course for staff facilitators, canceled. Roach pushed to label the use of the N-word as racism as opposed to racial bullying, and this was met with anger and accusations from the director of education. And work by an LGBTQ committee at the York Region District School Board was effectively stopped. And this is, this is extremely worrying because we see the exact same things happening in Peel. So... The review states that there's a culture of fear and blatant lack of cultural education for teachers who are white. And almost all staff spoke that they were afraid of being reprimanded and there being subsequent hiring or promotion punishments if they even participated in the PDSB Human Rights Review. And so I hope that this podcast episode can inspire its listeners to contribute to a more compassionate and productive conversation surrounding race in Canada. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and let's get back to my conversations with Ben and Charlene. Next up is a discussion I had with Ben about his experiences with de-streaming, or the disproportionate representation of Black students in non-academic streams. In common high school language, these would be known as applied level courses. Mm-hmm. Actually, you just you just reminded me. So, <laughs> my brother. So, in grade four, grade four is when you write. Um, I believe it's called the CCAT. I think. Yeah, something like a, that. Yes, the CCAT. Yeah. So basically, you write this test, and from that test, they determine if you're going to be put into the gifted stream or not. Yeah. So, um, so I was, I, I was, I I had already been in the gifted stream because I was I'm older than my brother, mm-hmm. but he um. Now he's a grade four. He does his CCAT, does he re- does well. And now all he has to do is have the teacher sign these papers to um to I guess allow him to go to the 
gifted streamer, however it works. But the teacher had to sign some paper. Yeah. But the teacher was refusing to do it. And again, this was another oh. racist teacher, but he was refusing to do it on the grounds that my brother talks too much in class. That was his reasoning. Oh, your son talks too much in class, so oh I'm not going to... Which is like, what? So yeah. anyway, again, you have your parental um, support system. Again, you go to the higher-ups, you go to the principal. The principal tells the teacher you, you have to sign it. Uh, or, and then uh, I see that the principal signed it, the teacher signed it. But in any case, this letter get, ended up getting signed. Yeah. And my brother was able to enter into this gifted program. And again, like this, that entering that gifted program, like you're, that's, that's favorable when you're trying to get, you know, into high school programs or even the middle school programs. Like it's, it's very important. And if you're going to take that away from a child, like you're really damaging their trajectory, as you just said. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I just remember that example. Ben just shared with us that his brother almost didn't get put into a gifted stream in elementary school because the teacher thought that he talked too much. That was the excuse that was given to his parents. And after a consultation with the principal, Ben's brother did get put in the gifted stream. The problem with a lot of school boards in Canada is that subtle instances like this often slip through the cracks. And it begs the question, you know, why is this such an important issue? And you see why it's such an important issue when you look at higher grade levels. I was really struck by the statistic in the PDSB review that less than 2% of students in international baccalaureate and advanced placement classes in grade 12 identify as black. And so that's really problematic because black students actually consist of a tenth of the PDSB's student population, yet they are less than 2% of students in these gifted streams in grade 11 and 12 that have direct impacts on success at university and then presumably success in the job market. I asked Charlene to respond to this on whether or not she's seen this de-streaming occur in other parts of the city or whether it was an example unique to the PDSB. It happens everywhere. It's not just Peel. It, ha- mm-hmm. it happens in, in, in York. Um, happens in Toronto, Durham. When we were in the heart of our situation, we got calls from Halton, yeah. Nova Scotia, Windsor. Um, wow. My own son, wow. two months, um, two weeks in from starting high school, he was identified. Don't ask me how they did this, and I didn't. He was identified as someone who is on the wrong path or a fear, an email sent by a principal, actually a copy of it, asking teachers, the principal sent an email asking teachers, are there, is there anyone in your class that you think that you are, are you, are you, that you think might be on the wrong path or you fear that might go off the, or might go off the path? And my son was, um, um, identified as one of those nobody spoke to me what they told him was um we're forming a group that you know we're gonna have the police come in and speak like we're gonna have pizza for you guys they made it seem like it was a hangout it was something for male bonding meanwhile the email that went out said something totally different how i got a copy of that email, i did not know until about a year after it happened 
how I found that out, I did an, a freedom of information request on everything that the board has on my son's name. There was no explanation for it. Yeah. Again, that no explanation and the fact that you didn't have access to that email, you didn't have access to those discussions no. and they didn't consult you at all. You know, I know this is one of the distinctive factors that makes specifically racism in Canada different from other countries. And I just want to take a moment and emphasize for anybody listening that this type of quote unquote silent racism is just as damaging as, you know, anything else we would see in the news because it makes it even more difficult for people to advocate, I feel, because you don't... It's worse. It's worse. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because then... It's worse. Uh, if you know your enemies yeah. and you know and you can see your enemies coming, yeah. you know how to protect yourself. But if you don't see it, if yeah. you can't identify it, mm-hmm. how do you fight against it? I think... Mm-hmm. You know, I you know I can't believe we've been talking for half an hour now. So you know, what? <laughs> let me. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's important stuff. I guess it is. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think. A huge thank you goes to Charlene Grant and Benjamin McDonald for the advocacy work that they do, including speaking on this podcast about such sensitive and exhausting topics. Honestly, on such a beautiful Sunday. A huge thank you to them for their courage and for the inspiration that they provide to students and parents everywhere. Unfortunately, there was so much content from both of the interviews that I had to split this segment into two parts. And so please expect a continuation of this episode soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to Dialogical Humanism. It truly means the world. I will leave my contact information in the episode description if you want to get in touch about this episode or speak on the next one. Thank you for joining in to this conversation for a new normal, and specifically, hopefully, a new normal that is more compassionate and more aware of anti-Black racism that occurs in Canada. See you guys next Sunday and have an incredible week. Number love for those who are not going to be this way for you.